Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of Louisiana Ladies. My name is Melissa Torito and I am the creator and host of this podcast. I am joined each episode by Lainey Edelman, our outstanding self-taught podcast producer. We would love for you to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a new episode. We would also appreciate a rating and review of the podcast when subscribing. We're also on social media, both Instagram and Facebook at Louisiana Ladies Podcast. Additionally, you can reach us by email at louisianaladiespodcast at gmail.com. We are back, another episode of Louisiana Ladies, and today we have a fabulous guest that I had the pleasure of either meeting or seeing again a few weeks, maybe a couple of months ago. It is uh, Colleen Wagesback. Welcome, Colleen. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Colleen and I were at a mutual friend's house, a little housewarming party, and my sister actually introduced us, but I feel like our paths have had to have crossed at some particular point. Just not possible. So... Um, so we're going to go ahead and get right into this, Colleen. I, I, before we do this, though, the episode last week, we had a, a guest co-host, and she said that Top Gun was amazing, and I would like to say that, that I went to the movies for the first time in probably 12 years, Okay, and it was amazing. Just going to put it out there. So if this is the first time that you went to the movies in 12 years, yeah. and you weren't even aware that the seats were so comfortable. I was like, wait. <laughs> What is going on? That's when my husband and I get our best nap. And the thing is, they do so many previews these days that... It was 25 minutes. So you can get in there, you can get a good 20-minute nap, and then you can wake up in time for the movie. Melissa didn't know why you had to reserve your seat ahead of time. I had no idea. And then I'm like, where should I go see this? Like, what's a good move? Because, I mean, when I was, like, in high school, Tinseltown was around. (laughs) I was seeking. Okay. Yes, I'm just going to admit it. And... And this is, I admitted this last week on the podcast, I hadn't seen the original Top Gun, so I had to watch that. Okay, that's that. really, no, that's, that's disturbing. I, that means you're, like, very young. No, no, no. How I, did you not Colleen, see I'm Top 40. Gun? I'm 48. I, because I just, I'm, I don't know. My husband, he gets so embarrassed. How did you, that's a classic. I know. So we actually I let know. our boys watch the first one, because we're like, maybe they won't get it if they haven't seen the first one. So we took our boys and we rewatched the first one. Which was fun. And I have to say, I am very impressed with how good Tom Hanks is looking at his age. Tom Cruise. I mean, t- thank you, Tom Cruise. Tom. <laughs> but he but looks he's amazing. looking really good for his age. And then that made us Google all the other members of the original cast to see, like, why might some of them not be on there. this version of it? And it's clear some of them haven't aged quite as well. Th- you know could- what I learned this weekend? And I filled you in a bit. Is that people that look good just have someone following them around and taking to make care them of them? Right. 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 So I'm sure Tom Cruise has somebody that cooks for him and has a personal trainer and all of these things. But truly, though, I, I feel like it's hard to find a good movie nowadays. Like, oh, good, absolutely, absolutely. That's not crap. And I was like, I could go back and watch this movie again. But yeah, no, I walked in. It was a little bit of shock. I was like. Wait, these are recliners? Exactly. Yeah, I know y'all. Yeah. I have to have just yeah. so now me and Patrick <laughs> might be movie people. Who knows? So anyway. All right. So Cal- Colleen, can you tell our listeners where you are from? I'm from New Orleans. Okay. And I come from a very large family in New Orleans and very proud of being from New Orleans. Always loved the culture of the city. Always felt like I'd live in New Orleans, you know, at some point and raise my children there. So it's interesting that we ended up in Baton Rouge, but it is the state capital and for my husband's career. It's actually been a better place for his career. So we met and went to college at LSU, um, and then we lived in D.C. for 10 years. And oh, I just okay. assumed at some point, obviously, we would end up back in New Orleans because New Orleans girls generally go home. But we had two of our sons in New Orleans, and we're looking at jobs in New Orleans. And Katrina came three days later. So fortunately, we were not living in New Orleans for Katrina and stayed in D.C., had our third son there. And still, New Orleans was taking a while to come back. And so my husband got a job offer in Baton Rouge, and he said, you know, we've had three kids. It's been 10 years in D.C. This is a great opportunity. And so it's sort of, this might be the one window to actually go back home. Mm. And so we kind of took it and ran. And then once we got to Baton Rouge and we're raising our boys here, and once you got your family settled, it just never made sense to move again. So we're still here. Okay. So 
Why were you in D.C.? Why were y'all in D.C. for 10 years? Jobs? Really, both of us for jobs. Like, straight out of college, great opportunities. I was working for commercial architecture firms up there. And Stephen started right out on the hill. So he started working for um, a Fort Worth congressman, Joe Barton. Okay. And he just started entry-level staff assistant. And I started out in an entry-level design position at a commercial architecture firm. And it was the best way to start your career. I mean, D.C. is sort of a very clean extension of college you know everyone's got like beach houses on the weekend and a softball team and it's sort of like you're professional but you're still going out at night Mm. you know you're dressed up during the day you're keeping it all in check but you're meeting all these young people and everybody's sort of moving up quickly and traveling and it was just a really fun way to start our careers yeah it sounds like you're adulting but not adulting too much. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and I mean, to be honest, you know, I didn't work on Capitol Hill, but so many other people did. Mm-hmm. And, you know, on Capitol Hill, there's that random hair drug test. And that's just keeping all those people in check. And I'm not saying, like, we dabbled in that at all. But I'm just saying, when you look at, like, other paths that people were going down in other cities and college extending in other ways, D.C. was, I look at it and I'm like, it's just great, clean, fun. The other thing is is all of a sudden, like, things that weren't that relevant growing up in the in the South. Like, you're like, oh, NIH, I know what that is now, the World Bank, the World Wildlife Fund. We saw, like, my first project I was working on was the ExxonMobil merger. And you really understand what that means, hmm. you know, and a lot of different international organizations and relevance of things. And then it's one of those things that no matter what you do for a living, you may not be working on Capitol Hill, but if you're not going to read the paper and be interested in what's going on politically – then you're probably in the wrong city. So gotcha. even though working for architecture firms that had nothing to do with politics, you're still completely embedded in that scene. And all of a sudden, you do feel grown up because you're like, I sort of get the big picture in how the world works. So I always felt like no matter what you do for a living, starting out in Washington, D.C., and I think there's so many people that gravitate to a D.C. or a New York or another bigger city, you sort of get that. And then there becomes this point where you're like, that was great, but we don't have family. And at that point, it's just time to go home. And I was really fortunate because since I married a guy from Louisiana, we had the ability to go back home and literally have both sides of our family. Yeah. And that was really important to us, and that was neat. We're friends of ours that were in D.C. One was from Chicago, and one was from Nashville. And you had your kids in D.C. You sort of had to pick one person's town to go back to. But for us, once we were three kids in, and it was getting really hard to juggle work and kids, and it's funny, even in a town like Baton Rouge, it's hard to juggle work and kids. So you, you know, do that in a bigger city where, where everything's incrementally more difficult. And no family and to And no help. family back up. At some point, the cons start outweighing the pros. Yeah. Of actually, the career opportunities up there. And that's when most people like us start looking at going back home. Interesting. But 10 years, I feel like that's a pretty, yeah, that's a pretty good great. stint. Totally. So, um, and so you graduated... In interior design. Interior design. Yeah, so I went interior design. I've always been very, very creative. And my father, though, saw, and I thought this was, like, such great advice. He said, I know you're creative, and I know you think you're going to be an artist, but you're also a people person. And you're not going to sit around and paint by yourself for the rest of your life. So you need to go find a career with people and benefits and a salary in an office environment. And this is your dad is <laughs> yeah. telling you this? Yes, my dad. The practical dad, yeah, exactly. right? <laughs> He's like, so, and the thing is, is the funny thing is, you know, he was he was totally right. And I always look back and I say, you know, you know, you can be creative, but he was right. I'm completely a people person, and all my best ideas come in front of people and not sitting by myself. And it's like I can walk into a meeting with no ideas, and as soon as I walk in, like, the whole thing's figured out in my head. So I think he was completely right. So it's like I sort of toured all the different disciplines, you know, and I looked at like the theater department because I thought maybe set design would be great. Mm. And then I looked at the theater crowd and I was like, you know, I'm not really fitting in so well with the theater crowd. Like I just didn't see that being my group. You know, architecture was too slow. Like the amount of time you spend building a building was like not fast paced enough. So in interior design, I found like a little bit of all of it. You know, there's a graphic design component. There's an artistic component. It's a faster pace as far as, like, designing something and seeing it get implemented quickly. And so I ended up in the interior design department, and that was a great fit for me. So when you graduate, I'm going to ask you, this is a very ignorant question, but you graduate in interior design. Are there, like, additional certifications that you can get? Or I feel like there's interior design and there's interior decorating, and those might be two different things. Yeah, interior design, you know, actually there is a licensing exam, and you have to get out of college. Okay. 
it's the NCIDQ and you have to work for a couple of years, join professional organizations. So you have to work for a certain amount of years, then you have to study for the exam and then actually pass it in an office that's a, a, a licensed art. So I was working for licensed architecture firms. So then on top of that, you know, actually the firm that I was working for at the time developed LEED certification for interiors and they were on the steering committee for that. And now LEED certification is sort of the environmental certification for does a building meet all the you know, requirements to be LEED certified, which is the energy efficiency and all the different environmental things. Um, but we were the first firm where every single member of our firm was actually LEED certified and now that's pretty common. And I do remember them sort of poking fun at me because when they started out, there was a map of the United States and it showed per state how many projects had been LEED certified and how many buildings were LEED certified. And my boss would always point to Louisiana and be like, none. <laughs> yeah. And the funny thing is now, it's it like I'm always proud when I see LEED certification on the side of a building because it got here. Well, Sometimes it just takes longer. LSU has a great interior design program. Great I have design. a yeah. good friend that graduated from it and is now getting her master's in set design and wants to do the theater Absolutely. side of things. And I look at the people that I graduated with and they're living all over the country and doing great things mm-hmm. and still working in their profession, which is interesting because a lot of people graduate in something and then migrate into a different profession. But if I look at, and we had sort of a text group going around recently, a lot of people that I graduated with, but they're all still practicing pretty closely to what we majored in. Yeah. So creative people fascinate me because I am the least creative person. Like if we looked in this room and you said, okay, Melissa, just, I'm imagining some sort of console. I'm probably going to use the wrong words. I'd be like, no, you're going to have to physically get that shit and bring it in here. It it. totally overwhelms me. To, I can look at financial statements. I can I could do all of that, but like creatives, I'm just like, oh man, that just I could barely pick a bedspread for myself. It just very it really just stresses me out. We're in the process of redecorating the office, and so we're right. very fresh this on this idea. At least know the word console, right? Kind of. <laughs> well, I'll say this. Okay, I'm really proud of this, and I'm sort of jumping ahead, but yeah. What was really hard for me in working and living in Baton Rouge, too, was I had this vision of what I had come from in Washington. Oh, yeah. And I knew we wouldn't really be able to recreate that here, but I was hoping for some semblance of it. And we've been here, so now, say, the son that we had right when we moved here is 15, so we've been here 15 years. And it's taken me 15 years to get there. And that's okay. I mean, you know, surely if any of us stayed in much larger towns, like where our career would have gotten to, you know, we would have sacrificed family. Maybe we would have had less kids. You know, you would have sacrificed a lot, but it took me 15 years. But like, we have an office that I'm really proud of. It's on brand. It reflects what I did in my previous career, which is design corporate offices that were on brand and brand and really reflected the culture of that office. Like when you come into work, you should sit know, who are you? You know, what, what do we stand for? How do you want your employees to interact? How do you want your customers or your clients to perceive your office you know what are you projecting about yourself from your office space and I think that keeps people happy and productive and for all of that we were not working like that at all we were in startup space at LETC which is Louisiana Business and Technology Center Mm -hmm. which for an entrepreneurial startup is a great place to start Mm -hmm. it was affordable they had loading dock they had shipping and receive a warehouse they had security guards but certainly, aesthetically, it was not on brand. But it was where we were with Fig and Doug. And so now we've got a great space. It's right on Essen. It's across from Marley to the Lake. And um, we worked with Mainstream Mural in town. And they did a really great job of like letting us design a space that they built out for us. And the location's fabulous. The build-out's fabulous. Um, it's actually got the turning radius we need for freight trucks. It's actually got a garage door that opens up to let freight come straight in. And we've got FedEx twice a day, UPS twice a day, DHL coming in, and we're right in the center of town. Yeah. And that's something that I thought we would never be able to pull off in Baton Rouge. I thought we'd have to go far out to a location where we could build something like that. But at the same time, I employ all women, a lot of them working moms, and nobody wants to work out in the middle of nowhere. At the same time, we're big and up, but we're also calling Microsoft Interiors. Yeah. So we're trying to get to clients' homes in Bocage. And in, I mean, we've got actually more work in New Orleans and Texas right now, even than we're doing locally. So, but we have to get to, you know, the lakes, our own homes, every single school in town, if you look at our employees, like and where their children are in school, including me having one all the way at Brighton. So 
you have to be in a location that actually allows people to be able to get to work and also get to their kids. You know, get to New Orleans, get to the interstate. Moving to that location on Essen has been a complete game changer for us. That's awesome. Congratulations. And it looks great. And so it's fun. So we're doing a lot more of the things that are paying off also financially. So, you know, we were talking earlier about social media and marketing. And, you know, as a brand on the Fig and Dove side and even on the interior side, people want to see what you're doing all day. And I always say this about people's homes. Everybody loves a finished picture of a beautiful living room but the truth is what they really rather is see how you got there like oh it was just a ranch style house and the lighting was bad because that's what I have but then if you show hey here's the finished palette here it was getting painted here's when we put the lighting in here come the rugs and here come the furniture and they can actually see the process then it's attainable and it's more interesting in our old and the fig and dove side we do the same thing like oh here's here, here's this this, this object that we're trying to sell, but let me show you how to use it and how we styled it. And let me talk about all the ways it's so great. Well, at LBCC, there was no nice view. <laughs> so all the, you know, all the numbers always said, feel more, talk more, feel more, talk more, but we didn't have the backdrop. Mm-hmm. And in our new office, we have the backdrop. So it's way more organic. Like all day, every day, they're like, Colleen, talk about this. Let's show this. Oh, this person's coming in to meet with us. Let's take a picture of that. And it's just all day long we're able to put content up, but it's driving our numbers. And it's really... And you're seeing some results from that. Huge results. Yeah. We're still working on that. See, not creatives. We're accountants. (laughs) Our social media is always about like financial statements. We're working on that. This is my creative outlet, this podcast, you know. Um, I know, but it's funny because like we don't have the business side. I mean, it is hard to be a a creative person running businesses. Yes. That's why you have accountants. But it's also tricky to make accounting seem super exciting. Exactly. (laughs) We, it doesn't, just the word accounting. Could put right. people into Isn't a coma. It? I mean, you know, I, my accountant. My accountant. Yeah, we love to post about our happy hours. We're good at that, right? <laughs> we. I, I've said this on the podcast. We work hard, play hard at Falk yeah. and Winkler. Our Christmas party is bonkers. <laughs> Nobody feels good the next day. Okay, no one feels good the next day. Open but bar. as I say, your sales pitch to me is: we'll let you be creative. We'll take, take care, care of, of it. Side. Exactly. You know, we'll we'll call it in when you're like, yeah. Sales are good, profitability is not. You know, at some point somebody's got to rein you in. Yeah, they and sometimes we deliver bad news and sometimes right. we deliver good news and right. sometimes it's a combination of yeah. both, you know. And we totally appreciate our accountant Amber the other day. She sent me something and she just said, you know, because we moved out of the LBTC and one of the advantages was their shipping rates. They were phenomenal. We'll never get them again. But we probably haven't adjusted on the customer end our shipping to account for the loss we took losing those shipping rates and going out on our own accounts. But I don't want to think about that. You know, so Amber sent me a very nice email. Hey, Colleen, sales are great, but just so you know, you know, shipping was here before, it's here now. You probably need to make some adjustments. You know, that's not the fun part of me analytics watching it all day, every day. Someone's going to have to come in behind me and say. Right, because I feel like that could hinder the creative your creative brain, right? And I always tell people that that are like, you know, whether they're running a nonprofit and doing fundraising, I kind of want to talk about that too. Just, uh, I'm like, you shouldn't, even every business owner does not know how to run a business by the numbers. That's why you have accountants. Yeah. That is why you have accountants, okay? I mean, my dad has a side business and I'm like, oh, dad. (laughs) He's retired with a side business. I'm like, no, this is what you need to do. But not everybody knows that. My husband is a business owner. He's like, thank God that you're here. I don't even know what I, you know, what I would do. Um, I have a hard time seeing the year. I I still like to think in years. How was 2021? Yeah. How was 2022? It's very hard to be this whole roll over account. You know, Rolling I just want to like finish out and like close it the numbers and, and then compare the it year and start the next year. Yeah. You know, the, that's very difficult for me. Yeah. The rolling years, months, quarters, we do that here too. And it, 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 that's a, that's a tricky concept. Okay. So let's talk about your two entities. Sure. So you have the Colleen figure Mike's up, back interiors. Right. And then, and that's always been, you know, I started out as interior designer. I've always done interiors. And then Fig and Dove, we started in 2015. And that's a product line. And really, it started out as a very niche product line, which really was Christmas decorations that were designed, you know, based on artisan collaborations. And the concept was, you know, we would do a beautiful home for somebody. And you'd finish it, and they say, oh, we're going to have a Christmas party. And by the way, you're going to hate our Christmas decorations. 
So will you decorate our house for Christmas? And it's true, they would pull out, you know, the things that they collected over the years that weren't so collectible. And it was the, you know, tchotchke, you know, thematic, red, green, glitter. It was dated. It wasn't worth saving. But at the same time, when I would look at things to replace them that actually looked great with our interiors, there really wasn't much out there. It all felt sort of cheap and temporary. And then, of course, like there's always like the very classic Eddie's Eddie Pottery Barn monogrammable stockings. But, you know, a company like Williams Noom or a Pottery Barn or Frontgate, they change their look every year. So one year it's burlap and the next year it's tartans back and then the next year it's like a velvet thing. So the problem with like having children and collecting something like Christmas stockings is you might get four great ones one year and then two years later you have a baby you need another one. And, and they're not going to match. And you got to rebuy five more. So Fig and Dove started very different. I said, well, we're going to do these classic core collections. And our stuff is going to be, you know, higher end, neutral, much more higher end materials. They're going to be better made. They're going to be like micro-corded. And there's going to be this great shape and curve and aesthetic proportions or whatnot. But you're going to be able to get the same stocking two years later, five years later, ten years later to add on. And we have found... That's a great concept. You, so that, that's what's very different from one of those standalone stores. At the same time, you have to add stuff to make it look fresh and innovative every year. So we add on things that complement the things you already have. So if one year you've got the stockings, you don't have to get the matching tree skirt, but we'll have three or four tree skirts that actually complement the look of your stockings. And then you might have wanted ivory stockings with a monogram on them, but we have these cool tassels now. So if you're like... Gosh, it would be fun to add a pop of a limey green at Christmas time or a classic red. You can do it by adding a tassel. And so we create a layered look that you can collect over the years. And our price point is a little bit higher. So therefore, we found like one year the customer buys the stockings. The next year they invest in the stocking holders. You know, three years later they get the acrylic star topper. So if you look at the stats on our website, our returning customer is extremely high percentage. And because they're kind of building on a collection or building on that. And it really is, uh, I finally, like a couple of years, well, probably six or seven years ago, bit the bullet and just like bought some really nice Christmas decorations, right? And I mean, there's just something about having nice Christmas decorations and having a really pretty tree that kind of gets you in the spirit. And don't get me wrong, like I still have ornaments on my tree that are fillers from Hobby Lobby and stuff like that. But you've got your collectibles and you've got your nice pieces. And I love that. And I think that, you know, what you just said, start small and build on it. It's, it's, you're able to do that. Yeah, we should be excited when you take it out every year. Yeah. And it's interesting because we started just Christmas. Yeah. And then people kept saying, well, then what are you going to do for Halloween? What are you going to do for Easter? And what are you going to do for. And at first, I just completely tossed the whole thing aside. I said, oh, no, I'm not that kitschy. There's not going to be an Easter and there's not going to be Halloween. But it's crazy, but it's Instagram and social media that had to that made me change my mindset because what I found was you, you know, there was a Fig and Dove Instagram, there was a Colleen Michaels back interiors one. We had a ton to post about in the Christmas season. And then all of a sudden, what is a Christmas company going to post about for the rest of the year? Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, if you're not developing content and getting people following you and getting people interested enough, number one, you're going to stay with the same amount of followers. So how are you going to sell the next season? So you really need to always be building up. And number two, they're going to forget about you. Mm -hmm. I mean, marketing is you got to always remind people that you exist and you're around and show them things. So that was one problem. Number two, the, the fixed cost of the bill of the the business, the operational cost that we pay every single month, which is, you know, our website and our accountant and our, all those costs, roll over 12 months a year, not just in the fourth quarter. So all of a sudden you're like, wait, I have to pay for all this stuff year round. So we had to evolve into a year round company. And really it's not so kitschy, but we ended up really doing well on like the front door. You know, all of our wreaths do really well. The resash concept, which is something I completely came up with because I'm not that decoratory. So like tying a bow and putting on the front door was never going to happen, but a classic tie that just finished off a wreath is something I came up with myself. And that like now if you put like hashtag wreath tag, you'll see there's like wreath sash, wreath sash companies. And the truth is I came up with that idea. Did you was, patent it? No. I was like, it's like, how could you patent something that simple? We patented our stocking holders. But the truth is I was at the, the Met had the Heavenly Bodies exhibit like four years ago. And the papal vestments had this perfect sash tied around their waist. And I'm looking at that and I'm like, I don't like to tie a bow, but I sure could put that on a wreath. And I came home and I said, take the same fabric that we're making our stockings out of, and let's just make it in this and stick a monogram on it. 
and it did. I mean, it's it's a, it's become the year round bread and butter of our business. That's awesome. I mean, it's one of those, and it, and at first, like friends would like screenshot other companies or other people doing it. You go, oh my god, they're stealing your idea. And I kind of was like, we'll come up with the next thing. I mean, if you look at a lot of the things that we've come up with, right? and the other thing is that's too simple to patent. Like I've been through the patent process it's and pro- I know yeah. the cost and what it takes, and that's not worth fighting over. You know? Yeah, I think that's a great mindset. I mean, the only reason why I ask is because uh, I don't know that I've never patented anything. Again, I'm not creative. What am I going <laughs> to patent? So you know. Um, the, my father-in-law actually has a patent on it. He, again, they work construction, but he does have a patent on this product. And, and I remember him telling me that it is quite a process and it is, you know, you have to pay for it. And they don't just say, here's your patent. Right. And it's a process. Yeah. Like anything, right? Like anything yeah. that's regulated. So let me ask you this, a, cu- a couple of questions about Fig and Dub. Is it a brick and mortar store or online only? Well, it's interesting. It's always been online only, which okay. is e-commerce. Okay, but with our new location, I'm calling it a hybrid model. And when I say this, I think this is a model that a lot of businesses are moving towards. And so I think it was a perfect timing for us to be able to build out something that works this way. Because the truth is, our customer base is you know, nationwide. We sell in every single state and even internationally. But at the same time, Baton Rouge is our highest, you know, our highest customer base is actually in Baton Rouge. And they were always asking, we were at LBTC, can I just pick it up? Can I just pick it up? Can I just pick it up? So what we did was, you high seniors get out at 12 o'clock every day. We, every single day, have a you high senior that comes to our office, and we were just $5 delivery anywhere in town. Mm. But with our new office... I mean, that's a deal. No, that's a fabulous deal. <laughs> and by the way, you can order it that morning, and it's going to be sitting on your doorstep that afternoon. Well, Pretty sure my so total smart. wine delivery today is 15 bucks, and it used to be free delivery. Yeah. This inflation thing is really just... That's and so it's real. to use them, though. To and be like, real. I know you get out at this time. Come work for me. Yeah. yeah. They'd come to our office. We'd have the bags lined up. We'd have, you know, and they come, and they get everything, and then it's delivered. At the same time, you're losing an opportunity that retail stores has because a lot of people actually want to see. They the want product. to look. Yeah. So what we did with the way we designed the offices, number one, there's two different entrances, but one, there is a pop-in and pick-up entrance. And so if you place somewhere in the morning and you hit that you want to pick it up, that you get a text, pop-in and pick up your orders ready, and you drive up to the Fig and Dove entrance and you open the doors and there's a table sitting there and you can grab your order and you can leave. There's a separate entrance, which is more of our reception conference showroom area. And what we do is we say the first Friday of every month is pop-in and shop. And we typically add something else on. Sometimes it's like a new brand, like this belt I'm wearing today is Cecily Belts out of D.C. And she's a friend I've gotten to know through. You get to know other brand friends just in like networking and through the industry. Love her belts. I would have never carried belts before, but now that we've got this new hybrid office shopping model, we also try to add something fun. You know, hey, come in and shop, and if you want to see all the classic things we always carry, you're welcome to come in on that Friday and try it out, test it out, see things in person. I always wanted to see what that wreath looks like. You can come in. And then we usually sort of add on something fun. So like Father's Day, we brought in El Guapo bitters from New Orleans. And Mother's Day, we collaborated with Farage Flowers, and Meredith did all the flower styling, and we sold the vases, and that was like a huge hit. Um, our first one, we did the Cecily Belt, so now we're only on our fourth month. And our fourth one is not this Friday because it runs into 4th of July, yeah. which doesn't work. So we put it to the following Friday, but that's actually going to be our first ever warehouse sale, which is tons of great inventory and some of it absolutely 100% like brand new, nothing wrong with it. But one of the things is now that we're going into our sixth Christmas season is you have SKUs that it's just time to retire because there's only six left of that. We don't yeah. sell anymore. Yeah. There's three left of that. There's, you know... Or we changed actually our ivory velvet for the first time so that we could add three more colors on. So there's a slight difference. So, you know, there's just, so we're having our first warehouse sale. Sue Starter's a dress brand that, you know, obviously we don't sell dresses, but she's based out of Monroe, has a huge following. People love her. Whenever we wear her dresses on social media, the response is huge. So we haven't actually even done an official brand opening because it's like we opened up right at the end of the school year. And the office wasn't quite ready as far as all the things that I wanted to have done for a grand opening. And then you hit the summer and you have to have a grand opening in the summer. So really we're going to do a, our pop-in and shop. We'll bring in Sue Sarter and really have like a big party to do the grand opening of the office. So I like it too, because it's not all about me show. I think one of the 
more fun aspects of building a brand because it's been hard. And if you look at the dollars, you'd say, gosh, why are you doing this? But getting to know other entrepreneurs and other women and support other brands and trade ideas and travel around the country, that's been like the real fun part. Yeah, it sounds, I mean, I can tell that you're passionate about it, but I'm also thinking like you have this very successful kind of now hybrid uh, company and you're also an interior designer. So how do you do that? Well, because this is this is what's great about it. So I found from going from corporate architecture firms, you know, I've worked in firms that were 40 people up to 400 people. But the difference between like a corporate architecture firm is there's a name to the firm, a big name, you know, Envision, Skidmore Owens and Merrill. And so therefore you're selling this whole firm and then there's a million teams that can work on the projects. Mm-hmm. The big change in residential and switching over from a corporate background to residential when I moved here is that nobody hires Colleen Wigespat and wants me to send random Elizabeth Butler, and I made up that name, right. in to do the job. Right. So, like, you're the face. You're the one's clients trust. They want you at everything understandably. So it's like I have, like, a really valued project manager that works with me who I couldn't do the business without, but she's, you know, placing all the orders, you know, crossing our T's, dotting our I's, making sure, you know, construction-wise, everything is built out perfectly, you know, coordinating our steps, bringing in products, getting it installed. But when it comes down to the design-oriented meetings and the design work and the real client interface, I'll always have to be there. So, interestingly enough, that we also segue into, you know, the Emerge Center and mm-hmm. how that came to be, mm-hmm. the residential interior design is very limited because the way that I'm running my practice it's really only as many jobs as I can actually put out. Right. So if I stopped working, you know, producing work, then financially it stops. Fig and Dove is completely different because our team is great. And, I mean, we have this fabulous, and I'm so proud of it now, we've got this, like, branding document that really talks about, like, who are we and what is our vision, what is our core values, and, you know, who is our target audience and who's a Fig and Dove customer. And it really, once you get to that point where you have all of that and you hire the right people – our employees and our staff are great. They get it. They're on brand. They're coming up with the next ideas. It's not all about Colleen. Yeah. You know, and for sure, our success in the last couple of years is definitely part of getting the right team members. Absolutely. So now they're coming up with new ideas. They're doing the social media. They're they're connecting with influencers there. And I don't actually have to be in it all day long to grow it successfully right the interiors practice I do yeah and that I can see where you're I, I definitely can see the differentiation between the two and it's kind of funny um you said something earlier about like not being the Colleen show I've said that about my own team here and yes we are accountants I, I specialize in retirement plans but the clients want me they want me as their consultant they Absolutely. want me as the partner mm-hmm. and so in order for me to do that and work on the business you have to have people that are working in the business and the logistics because you just can't do Absolutely. it all you Absolutely. can't do it all. It's impossible. I've tried. Right. You've probably yeah. tried. And when, and then you're like, it doesn't work. It just doesn't, it doesn't. work. It you have, oh, and then you have those children. Right. You, know? you have kids. <laughs> three of them. 20 hours a day. Three boys. You have three boys? Yeah. I have three boys. Okay. And actually, the hardest thing is, I was saying earlier, my oldest son is going to be a sophomore at TCU. And it was really important to us that he go away to college because he was just that oldest child that's on top of everything. And, and everything's on. I've got a family calendar. I've got this big enough calendar. And I have a CWI calendar. And everybody can see all of them. But they're stacked all day long. And Craig would look at it and say, okay, so this isn't going to work. So, Mom, I talked to Maisie Jones, and don't worry, she'll be picking up Christopher, and you can bend over, and I'm going to be getting ready for football. And, you know, Craig was, like, running our lives. Craig is the one that's at the camp right now, being the counselor, who is actually majors. I think he's 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 uh, Godson's camp counselor. Henry, Norman, and Major. That is Megan texting me. That. And it's a great all boy camp. And yeah. It's really, you know, it, it's it's really you know part of the fabric of him for growing up and stuff. So I did I wasn't expecting that either. Like that he would go away to college and not come back for the summer. Yeah. Later. That was a rude awakening, especially since we actually survived a school year without Craig. But he kept saying like, "Mom and Dad, you have no idea what's coming when I leave." But I knew it was going to be a problem, and it is. Yeah. You so know, we don't have a driver right now. 
but I feel like yeah, there's some there's some cons to that to to Craig and his responsibility. <laughs> I feel like though to be a camp counselor at a boys camp, you have to be like the most responsible human being ever. Like and these aren't your kids all the time. Yeah, you know. That's great. That's awesome. Okay, so Craig's the oldest, and then followed and then by Christopher's our middle son, okay. and that's our son that's on the autism spectrum. Okay, and then Brady's our youngest. Okay, so Brady's a Catholic high. Christopher's at Brighton, which has actually been a great fit for him because you know we always say with Christopher is that he sort of fell in the perfect you know range. Autism spectrum is a spectrum, you right? Know, it is a rainbow for a reason. You know, you have kids that are nonverbal and that you really can't comfortably take places in public. And then from Christopher's experience, starting out the Baton Rouge Speech and Hearing Foundation, which is now what the Emerge Center is, you know, Christopher fell right in the middle. Two of his peers, one's at Catholic High and one's at St. Joseph's, doing great. And they were able to, like, they're successfully going through very large Catholic high schools. Christopher was sort of in the middle. Christopher's making it, but definitely always in a smaller environment. Like, he would have never made it at Catholic mm-hmm. High or, you know, a school that size. You know, Christopher needs to be in, you know, a small, kind and loving, wonderful bubble. But at the same time, you know, can finish Algebra 1 and is actually academically capable. And the cutest thing is he's working at Baton Country Club this summer. Oh. Jay Cavana runs the, um, the whole pool area. And, I mean, it's just sort of a God thing. He's the nicest guy in the whole world. And last year they let Christopher shadow a bit. And this summer they have him working on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Um, in the snack bar, which is really nice. Uh, well, but that's a great experience for him, too. Yeah. So so speaking of Christopher, and speaking of that, tell us your involvement with the Emerge Emerge Center, because okay. I feel like that is like, that's you hold huge that for me, near and, and dear to your heart. That's one of those things that is. That's a, that's a big thing, and I always want to talk about the Emerge Center, because I do think that, you know, if Christopher being a part of our family and part of our lives, you know, when, there's a lot of different types of special needs out there. You know, some people get it later on in life that, you know, you might have an addict in your family. I mean, you know, but for Christopher and autism, you know, it comes young. And so we knew at 18 months that there was something, you know, that wasn't, he wasn't developing quite right and quite typically. And so, you know, we were brand new in town and sort of lucked into my neighbor who I just met. And when I say just met, like one day, and I said, oh, what do you do? And she said, I'm a speech pathologist. I said, oh, wow, can I get your email? (laughs) So I sat up that night and I said, I have a list of concerns. And I typed out all of my concerns with Christopher. And, you know, I think I was pretty dead on with with what, you know, where the issues were, whatnot. And she said, well, you know, I think she should connect me to early steps, got an evaluation. And it was the best part about not being in a Washington, D.C. and being in a Baton Rouge, Louisiana, because everyone was so kind and loving and everybody really took Christopher on as if he was their own. And like, I'm so thankful for every single solitary one of those people because a child in the autism spectrum, they need everything. And that's what's so overwhelming. It's like, nothing's coming naturally. And not to mention at any moment you can lose them, you know, so they can be at the bottom of a pool. They can be lost in the neighborhood. They run straight out of the store, the grocery store and get hit by a car. Like you need literally a buffer everywhere you go. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, they need every single kind of therapy, mm-hmm. from feeding therapy to a whole new nutritional plan to doctors to, it's hard to get through an eval and even figure out what's wrong. Their communication skills are not there and their mm-hmm. self-awareness is not there. I mean, Christopher, I would say, was pretty severe when he was younger. And then we go to the Baton Rouge Speech and Hearing Foundation and it was like not a fabulous building as far as like the actual build out of the building but like the therapists were so wonderful and the people were so kind and it started out with really just an ABA therapy which is a really renowned therapy for autism that you know most people are pretty familiar with ABA therapy now with kids on the autism spectrum but it was an ABA therapy speech combined program and Christopher is really one of in one of their pilot programs for kids in the autism spectrum is really new you know 15 years ago and we were paying out of pocket for it. So it was also really expensive. Oh, wow. Um, everything was out of pocket. Autism was so new that insurance companies were not covering autism as a diagnosis. So from speech to OT to the, every form of therapy, we were paying out of pocket. So the Christopher, the cost of Christopher was running up really high. So it's interesting. I got on the board of the Baton Rouge Speech and Hearing Foundation as a parent. They said, you know, we always like to have a parent voice on the board. And from that, that led to me helping them truly lead a capital campaign to build something bigger and better. And I'm going to have to fast track the whole thing. But 
that was at a time where we were truly struggling economically because of Christopher, emotionally falling apart. Yeah. You know, but at the same time, understanding that, like, if that was us and we felt like we were two very competent parents who were capable and had Stephen's family locally that was, like, helping us out quite a bit, how are the rest of the people doing it? Because at that point, we were going to, like, OT in one place, speech in one place, you know, shadow at the preschool, a therapist coming into our house, doctors in California. You know, it was just sort of every day, all day long. And, by the way, with the baby and the carrier, because that was Brady. And, you know, to me, it's like because I'm a creative and because I'm a visionary, I was like, it's real simple. It's called all services under one roof. Like, we need to put services for autism in one place because I was having to communicate with every single therapist. Hey, this is what we're doing, and this is where Christopher is, and this is what this person's working on, and this is this new diagnosis. And by the way, he's lost his hearing recently. And, you know, so you become, and I was like, how can, if I, if I can barely do this, how can the other people do yeah. this? You know? So the Emerge Center is really beautiful because it came from that. And, like, a lot of people in town understood and got on board and became a part of the team. And it was definitely, like, a combined group effort. But, like, the Baton Rouge community, like, came together and made that happen. And quickly, Melissa Juno was the director. And, like, I'll never, never be able to thank her enough for taking that on because it was a huge project. But, you know, we raised the money and built the Emerge Center. And it's thriving today. It's beautiful. It's unbelievable. It's a beautiful building. And the outcomes, the stories of the children, the outcomes are truly so inspirational. But it is that. All services under one roof. So if you just need an evaluation or one-on-one speech, you can do that. But if you need everything, you can get in one place. And therefore, these parents can go to work and continue to actually... On the other side, I would say the Jindal administration, under their era, they passed the laws that required the insurance companies to cover autism. The Merge Center would not be possible, or all of these other places, the Grace Therapy that you were talking about. And all, there's a lot of great programs in town, but the number of children on the spectrum is unbelievable. But none of that would be possible if insurance companies weren't now actually wow, I don't even having to cover autism. Yet. And when you say stuff like that, it really puts it in perspective. And same whenever we were talking with Katie with Grace Therapy, you know, the, the vast majority of people are ignorant to what the day-to-day looks like. So, like, not only are you communicating with all of these professionals and doctors and therapists, you're also physically bringing Christopher to oh, and from. I mean, I always say I raised three kids on the playground at the Speech and Hearing Foundation. I said, I always say I only have one son on the autism spectrum, but don't worry, I raised three on the merry ground of this Baton Speech and Hearing Foundation. Because what are you going to do with your four-year-old and your yeah. three-month-old when you're dragging this kid to therapies all over town? We, like, lived out of the car. And, you know, those are some hard years, especially, like, if you're a new parent and you don't even have, like, a typical kid that came before to say, oh, something's off, you know, it's just, it's just, I feel like a very, very overwhelming time. So, you know, part of, you know, helping and being a part of the Emerge Center and like providing something for all these other families that we didn't have has been such an amazing, rewarding, fulfilling, like that's been the greatest thing I've ever been a part of by a landslide. And so coming from that, so I did lead capital campaign, but through that I met with all these other businesses in town. And I realized as an interior designer, I'll always be able to buy a table at an event, but I'll never be able to put the wing on the building. And I mean, that is truly where I was like, I got to start something larger. I got to start something that can grow beyond just Colleen being able to show up at a meeting. Mm -hmm. And if I could, maybe one day I will put the wing on the side of the building, or maybe I will be able to give back larger. And that has been so rewarding for me. That is amazing. What a great, what it just really puts it in perspective. And it's, I told a story, and this was whenever Katie was on too, but it just brings back, we have a client that that um, they are a behavioral group for um, uh, autism. And, and, you know, being a parent is hard as it. I am not a parent for that reason, partly. It's a hard gig, right, that you don't get paid for. And then you throw in autism where there's this, you know, I'm learning more about it, where there's this, broad range like you said you have, there's somebody at St. Joseph's and Catholic and then there's Christopher and you know it's it's, it's crazy it's, it's a it's a crazy um it's crazy to me but we I went to go meet with this client and I just will never forget it was raining it was thunderstorming it, it was just a bad storm and you could just tell his mom was bringing in her son and they just didn't have a morning like I had right, right. 
you know, and it puts it in perspective. You know, they didn't have the morning of me getting up and working out and drinking my coffee and reading my devotional. This poor mom. And and she was in scrubs. So I could tell she was, she needed to be somewhere. And I'm just so thankful that there's places like that, Emerge Center, all of these places, because there's several for parents to be able to trust that their kids are being taken care of and go to work. And I don't want to say like, I don't want to be mean and say like get away from it, but take a break because it's never ending. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's no, it's constant. You need a break. You need it's a constant. Break. And I mean back to like the godsend of us coming back to Baton Rouge. You know, my in laws were there. I mean, you know, we've co-raised the kids with my in laws. Um, and then my my father in law ended up passing away a few years ago, and I was also like, gosh, I'm so glad. You know, what if, what if we had stayed in Washington, we'd missed the opportunity for my kids to really get raised in an integral way with both of those grandparents. And then I have a huge family in New Orleans and we're there a lot, but we definitely could not have done it without my in-laws. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, congratulations, because Colleen's like, yeah, I just led the Capitol campaign. I mean, hello, has anybody been to the Emerge Building? Good well, Lord. Well, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, I didn't want to. <laughs> I always say, you know, we were younger, we were a Catholic family, and we had like older priests in the family, and they would literally do a family mass with a chalice and say, who will take the chalice and join the religious order? And I mean, I had a lot of cousins. We'd all sit there and like, not me. <laughs> and my sisters at night, because I'm from a big family, I've got four sisters. We'd lay in bed and be like, where do you get called to be a nun? And I was like, well, I am not going to get called to be a nun. I just want to answer God, it. God would never call me to be a nun. But you know, when I look at the Catholic campaign, I say at some point, God's going to call you to do something. And it's never going to be the right time. It's never going to be easy. But the answer is going to be yes. And that was a God thing, because there is no reason... There was, I mean, you know, there is no reason I should have said yes to that. But at the same time, Melissa Juno said to me, but you know the cause and you can speak to the cause. And because I kept saying, well, you've got lawyers who are partners in many law firms and you've got all these other people on the board that are, number one, working professionally and not where I am right now in life. And surely they'd be better. They already know all of these people. But she said, but you're living through it. And Absolutely. Speak to mm-hmm. say that. And that was the big differential. Because when I walked in, and we toured them through the Baton Rouge Beach and Hearing Foundation, which they could see it was so obvious. It was like sophisticated services in a very unsophisticated environment. Mm-hmm. But you saw these kids in the, the Maroon Public School shirts along with the kids in the smock uniforms. And you realize that these are all the same children and they all deserve the same opportunities as a Christopher Waggis pack. And that was also what really drove me. I'm like, you know, it costs us a fortune to get Christopher where he is today. And when I say a fortune, <laughs> you don't want to ever look back and even add it up because we have just everything we possibly could we've done for Christopher. But there's so many families that can't do that, even if they want to, and right. even if they're great people. The Emerge Center was for my husband and I. Uh, we got to make sure that they all get at least the shot Christopher got in them. You know, and again, you don't know the outcome. I mean, they're nonverbal kids that had the same opportunities Christopher had. And then there's, you know, our friends who've done phenomenally well that you wouldn't even know this. They're mm-hmm. kids in the spectrum. And that's why I say I think we were in the perfect spot because had Christopher been one of the easy cases, we might not be so passionate and so committed to, and, and I've always said, it's like people have asked me to be on other boards or whatnot. And I say, no, it's just this. Like, I want to be known for this. I want people to see me and say, oh, watch this. Oh, you can call her. Oh, she'll help out, you know. And then with Fig and Dove, I will say it's gotten a little overwhelming with the number of asks because, you know, we're making it. <laughs> you know, we're not, I wouldn't call us like there. We're just like, wow, we're no longer, you know, we've actually, we're alive. We're making it. It's trending in the right direction. So I try to keep our giving to, of course, we're not going to say no to all the schools because it's all those moms that are buying from us and supporting from us. But after that, it's got to be like children with special needs. Yeah. You know, we'll always give to like a Bella Bowman Foundation. I mean, children with cancer, who could say no to that? I mean, like that's, Kim Bowman blows me away. Yeah. She did on this program? She has not. Okay, so like Kim Bowman? Yeah. She's on, she's on the list. She has to be on the yeah. list. But like, you know, there's certain causes. But at the same time, you know, there's a men's fishing radio. It's an easy no. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Children but, with special but I think needs. That's a, you know, but, children with special yeah. needs. I'll never say no. But at some point, you just can't give to every No, and you can't. And I kind of feel like, yeah, jot down uh, Kim. I think Tommy Lejeune knows her pretty well. So Kim is wonderful. And also, I was talking about Carissa Graves. I think the time you're having Carissa Graves on would be fabulous. Perfect. You know, her new position at Breath. Yeah. Leaving Crystal Ray. I think, you know, and she's got a great legacy there, too. I think Carissa would be great. Um, so... 
I, I'm just very impressed by you, Colleen. That's I think nice. that it is just, I mean, it's just amazing. I mean, when I, like, I don't know, what were we talking for, like, 10 minutes at Camille's house? And I looked at Colleen, and I was like, so, do you want to be on my podcast? I actually said so, and my sister goes, oh, God. Like, she <laughs> I mean, was about always to up, That's why I was like, we're going to make this work, because I'm always for, up for something like this. Because, truly, and I do think I always... Yes, I love Fig and Dove, and I love the interior design practice, but you're right. Like, where is your passion? I would never want to work. I'm not medical. I would never want to work at the Emotive Center. Right. But, like, the philanthropic arm of being able to really spread the word and to sell hope. I'm like, it's an easy sell. It's children and hope. Yeah. But, like, to me, it's like a lot of people are struggling at home and not able to talk about it openly, or you're worried about your kid, but you're not quite sure who to go to or whatnot, especially with young parents. And so to me, to show us a hope and a path of success and that there are these opportunities, you know, to have great services in the Baton Rouge community, you know, that's always, for me, the more fun part about being visible. Well, and I appreciate your honesty and vulnerability, you know? Like, I feel like if somebody were to come up to you and be like, Colleen, you know, I just have a two-year-old, they just got diagnosed, they're on the spectrum, or say diagnosed, but I don't know if that's the right yeah, word, but diagnosed, on, yeah, diagnosed, they're yeah. on the spectrum, I am so overwhelmed. I think you would literally look at them and be like, I know what you're going through. Absolutely. You can totally relate Absolutely. and you can tell them about the good days and the bad days and everything in between. Uh, but the Emerge Center is a beautiful building. I've had the pleasure of touring it before. Uh, they put on some really great fundraisers. They do. <laughs> my husband's always the MC. It's funny. You know, everyone thinks I'm the creative, but my husband's actually a pretty creative guy. And, like, he does these great little stints for Big and Dev every once in a while. We bring him in because we're like, we need a guy to do something. And he comes up with all these funny ideas on his end. But Steven's the MC. His costumes are great. Like, if I put on a costume, I just look like Colleen in a costume. Like, it never looks like I'm the character. It looks actually ridiculous. But Steven, it's like whatever he dresses as. You know, if it's a 70s tennis player to Prince to whatever he decides the costume is, he actually, like, looks great in costume. He's great on a stage. I'm a people person, but if you put me on a stage, I get nervous. I don't even know why because you could drop me off with 4,000 people and I love to work a room, but like standing by my, I don't think it's like the lack of feedback, you know? Like if you're on a stage, you're just sitting there and you're just looking at all these faces. Or a very bright having, light. I find that whenever yeah. I get on a stage, I'm like, is anybody out there listening to me? I just pretend like nobody's yeah. out there. But I also think I'm hilarious, Colleen. So <laughs> me getting on stage, I'm like, I know I'm going to talk to you about retirement plans, but newsflash, I'm also a comedian. But no. I, I know, that's what I think we're good. I think the social media thing is going to work for y'all. I, mean, we're, we're, I just need to. In fact, when I was in on my two-week vacation, which was fabulous, I had I had some thoughts about social media that I that I jotted down. Uh, being out for two weeks, you, you catch up for four, you know. Um, your Fig and Dove website, by the way, I'm just going to plug that. I mean, great website. Just Thank Googled you. it. Kind of want to go shop and not work. I mean, just congratulations on everything that you've done and everything that you've been through and being and coming back to Baton Rouge and being part of the community. I uh, born and raised here, so I never left, even though going to D.C. for 10 years sounds great. I go to D.C. every year for a conference. But um, Fig and Dove, like I said, I feel like it's easy. Social media, Google it. It's going to pull up. And then, you know, the Emerge Center, please check that out. I encourage people to check that out. Check out some of their fundraisers. We do have a partner here that is on that board. One more time, say the day of your uh, warehouse sale. Oh, the warehouse sale. Okay, so not this Friday, but next Friday. Well, and well actually, that's not true. Okay, we're wait. recording on June 29th, so we kind of okay. get wait, hold on. all see. off whenever we actually post the so, episode. I know, so wait, I have to look at the date. Okay, so our warehouse sale starts the evening, which, you know, one of the things we realize with our hybrid model, and this is one of the things I love about social media, is we actually need to get feedback from our customers, because a lot of our customers are working women. So when we started this pop-in the first Friday of every month and we realized we're running at our working hours, which I've got core hours, which are nine to three, that really doesn't help a lot of our customer base, which are working women. So with this warehouse sale, what we're doing is we're doing a Thursday evening, mm. which is July 8th. I mean, I'm sorry, Thursday evening, which is July 7th. Seven. Yep. Then July 8th, our typical pop-in and shop Friday hours, which is nine to three, but we're actually also doing Saturday morning. So, um, of course, the best stuff's going to go on Thursday. <laughs> yeah. Evening. Y'all got great stuff. I just looked at the website but, for like five seconds. I know. We have really nice stuff. And the stuff that's, that's in the warehouse sale is great stuff. It's, it's just time to part ways with it, you know. One yeah. thing, you know, our brand has grown so much. And, like, 
how many times a day can you post? Who's really digging through somebody's website anymore? So Instagram is how we are selling. So if you have too many varieties of stockings or tree skirts, people don't even know they're out there. They are buying what we post, yeah. you know, and you can't post, you know, 16 times a day. So but that, well, that's, a goal. that's all you would do if exactly. you posted 15, uh, 16 times a day. I well, mean, and people would post, be like, they're annoying. I'm unfollowing. Yeah, them. and yeah. then engagement would be down or whatnot. Exactly. So um, it has been fascinating, though. You study social media and you say, what is selling for us right now? The front door. I yeah. mean, if we post something, me tying a resash on a front door, you know, our highest, I was just showing before. Okay, so our one that we did, I think, last week. And my, I was telling my book club about this. And so one of the girls said, well, wait, use my front door. Because those new Riley Sheehy sashes that y'all came out with, I don't know whether they get blue or white. And that's why they're sitting in my cart. And that's why I haven't made a purchase. So she's like, so why don't you come do it on my front door? Put up both colors, decide what's best, and leave the one that's best, and I'll pay for it. So we did that. And, I mean, I'm talking this takes us 15 minutes, 20 minutes max. And we're at 285,000 views of that video. And it definitely drives sales. Like sales follow, I mean, we know because we know what we sold in those items. Yeah. So it's so interesting. But what we study, like, you know, the front door post or styling flowers. I mean, one day I went to Trader Joe's. I literally bought a dozen white, a dozen white roses, cut, up, cut the stems and the leaves off, and put them in a pot. Okay. So there's like no styling involved in that. There was no extra. There was no fluff. There was no cute little berries. There was no trick. There was no tape to hold them in. And I can't tell you how well that post is done. And we're like, but we didn't do anything. Clever. I I almost feel like social media is like opposite world. Like what you think is going to drive a lot of engagement doesn't. And then like, I don't want to say like the least effort, like the less effort, the more engagement. People like things that are raw and they like things that are candid. So when you try too hard. I guess it's pretty obvious. That's right. But you know what I don't like? Okay, I'm all about selling hope and optimism. Okay? I do not like this trend. And I feel it was like six months ago. I feel like it's passing. But, like, let's all say we're depressed on social media. Let's say life's too hard on social media. Let's say, oh, by the way, I looked happy back then, but I was miserable. I'm not a believer in that. You know? I'm just like, no, we're going to keep just selling hope and optimism and happiness. And yeah. I mean, like, I think. It's like real and tough days. Real so, and tough periods. Social like, media to me on certain influencers, I'll just put it out there. They've just becoming increasingly more difficult to follow. I kind of started to feel like that when COVID happened. I mean, I look to social media so I can see a pretty door that's being decorated. Or, hey, I just bought this from Amazon. It's really cool. Or here's a cute dog. Or, like, yeah, here's a cute dog. Want. Here's a cute dog. Not, or here's my newest concoction at Starbucks. I don't know, something like that. Not like, let's get in a war about who oh, let's believes fight. what. So you see, we'll never post about, like, what's going on politically or socially yeah. on Big and Dove because mm-mm, and I not, we don't I don't talk about that, it on this I don't talk never, this is not yeah. I've always said this is not a platform mm-hmm. for that that's not no. I'm not saying I don't have beliefs or opinions right. but, I'm gonna keep but I get just I get very and I, you know there are some to me that it's like you know one or two blurbs and that's it and they're done but there's others that get on there oh, and man. they start ringing so and I'm, ringing ringing. I'm like oh my goodness and then you know yeah. the comments and I'm, sometimes Sometimes it's comical to me because I'm like, people, you are not going to change this person's mind. You yeah. are, you're just not. It's know, just, why? Do you care? Why? why? Let's it. move on. Let's move on. So, anyway, let's not yeah. end on a bad note. Yeah, we're going to spread hope and optimism. No, spread hope and optimism. optimism. And I thoroughly enjoy this because, like, my personal mantra is add value everywhere you go. Mm-hmm. And it's just like if it's just connecting to people or wait, I'm looking for a great accountant. I know who you could work with. Or how do y'all do SEO optimization? This is what we do. Or, you know, I'm all about like, you know, just a network of women helping each other. I think it's like going to an all-girls school my whole life or whatnot. So Louisiana Women is a theme of a podcast. It's just, I think, a really, really great concept. Um, and I have a lot of uh, exciting women I like to suggest. And then I'm looking forward to listening to all the other great women in Louisiana. Yes. I mean, this is episode... We're almost to our two-year anniversary. We started in what we posted in October of 2020. October of 2020. This was my COVID passion project because I want to be a keynote speaker. So speaking of getting on stage, I want to be a keynote speaker. I found that's great. You got to just throw it out there. I got to do it. So I I bought this planner called the Full Focus Planner. Highly recommend it, and uh, it makes you kind of list out your goals, and that's one of them. You know, so working on working on that, Colleen. You know, it's work in progress, but. 
Thank you so much for being here. I do want to tell the audience, Colleen was right on time and Melissa was 20 minutes late because I had a meeting <laughs> right long and I finally decided to say, I got to go. I got to go. <laughs> I got to go. So no, thank you, Colleen. All in. Thank you all for having me. This has been so fun. Awesome. Check her out, guys. Bye. Bye.